Well, good morning. Welcome. Glad to see you guys. If you're new here, my name is Mark. I'm one of the pastors. It's uh, my joy and privilege to open up God's Word with you. So we're in Exodus chapter 25, 26, and 27, three chapters today. We won't read every one, but we're, we're going to cover that. Uh, so you can begin to make your way there. We want to have your eyes on God's Word this morning as well. So it is a joy to be here uh, with God's people worshiping God together. So one of my favorite books of all time, I, I would put it in the top five for sure, is uh, John Steinbeck's book, East of Eden. East of Eden. Anyone read East of Eden or have to in high school or something like that? East of Eden. So I, I didn't read any of the books I was supposed to in high school. It was after high school that I was like, I, these are actually good books. So I, I started reading them. Uh, East of Eden, I, I love that book because, uh, well, well, Steinbeck calls it his magnum opus. Uh, he, he, he wrote it for his children to describe the Salinas Valley in California. But what it is also uh, a parable, or uh, I don't know what the English term because I didn't pay attention in class, of, um, uh, of Cain and Abel. And if you, if you think about Cain and Abel, but, but what, what uh, Steinbeck does in that book is he embodies the human experience like, like no other book I've read. Like that, that we all have this kind of existential angst. We, we all have uh, times of anxiety and, and longing and unmet expectations and, and needs that we, we, we feel but we don't know how they can get satisfied. Like that, that's the human experience. And you're, as you're reading through East of Eden, you feel that. And, and as a parable of Cain and Abel, we know what the story is, right? They, they live now east of Eden. Because in Eden, where God created a home with us and for us uh, to dwell with us, our first parents sinned against God. And then he uh, kicked them out of the garden, set up some cherubim with flaming swords, not as a punishment for them, but so that they would not go back into the garden and eat of the tree of life and forever be separated from their creator. God was already unrolling a plan of redemption. But we all live now east of Eden. We all live in this, uh, this, this moment where we will not ever be fully satisfied. And so for some of us, it keeps us up at night. For others of us, it, it makes us buy things we shouldn't buy. For others of us, it gets us in relationships we shouldn't be in. So, so on and so forth. This continues to roll out. We, we, we were made to be at home with God. And when we live outside the home, when we live east of Eden, there's always going to be this longing. Well, today, when we come to uh, Exodus 25, 6, 7, uh, really till 31, uh, we come to this part of the Bible that uh, for, for many of us, myself included, often is, is this flyover passage. For, for six chapters, God is going to uh, give his plans to, to make a tent, to make a home among his people. And we can read them like, oh, these are just uh, boring blueprints for some weird building uh, from long ago. But, but here's the other thing that's going to happen. At the end of Exodus, it's going to echo everything in these six chapters when they actually do build it, like word for word. And you're like, what is up with that? It's as if God is like saying, this is actually really, really important. He is... He is restoring, in the, in the coming of the tabernacle, he's restoring or hinting at a restoration of Eden. I told you last week, when, when, when Jesus 
was resurrected and uh, after the resurrection he uh, was meeting with his disciples on the road to Emmaus and he began to teach them from uh, beginning with Moses and all the scriptures and things concerning him. We said we want to see in the Old Testament, see and savor Jesus and that's absolutely true today but, 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 but one of the reasons I want us to dig deep into these chapters is because I am now convinced having studied this this week that there is no other section of scripture of the Old Testament that more fully points to all that Jesus has come to do and to be for me and you. He is reestablishing his dwelling place, a home. He's recreating Eden. He's pointing to a hope and a future. And so our homes say a lot about us, right? Uh, when we, we know that this kind of existential angst is, is, is in all of us. G.K. Chesterton, or it's credited to him, I don't think he said it. He said, every young man that knocks on the door of a brothel is looking for God. He's looking for home. Augustine put it another way in his book, Confessions, is his prayer to God at the beginning. And he says, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our souls are restless. Our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. You were created to be in God's home. Well, what does that say about God then? Well, well, let's ask this question. What, what do our homes say about ourselves? Because you can learn a lot about a person just walking through a person's home. So, for example, if you were to come to my house, and I hope you do or have and will someday, if you were to come to my house, you would see this first picture. Now, you can't see very well because our projector was stolen last week, and so that's kind of dim and, and you can't really see. So I'll describe it to you. Uh, if you'd come in the front door, you, you would first see a, a map of the world. And if you looked closely and the projector was better, you would see pins on the map of all the places where various Oshman members of the family have have lived or visited or been in the world. And so you'd see a lot in uh, Southeast Asia from our time there. You'd see some in Africa from Jennifer's time there, some in South America. You'd see a lot all over Europe since we lived and ministered there. Uh, You'd see a lot across the U.S. Uh, It's just a reminder to us uh, of God's world. And so we pass by it. Sometimes it prompts us to pray for the nations and so that's what you'd see if you come down the hallway a little bit and go into the family room you'd see uh, this uh, wave of Kanagawa this is a famous painting a Japanese painting you've probably seen it before Uh, besides it being beautiful and we like it in our space it's a reminder of our 10 years in Japan where uh, our we took a six month old there and and two of our children were born there and and grew up for 10 years there and so it's just a a reminder of, of that sweet season of life that God uh, did in our life. Now, if you turned and looked at another shelf, you would see pictures of us uh, all over the world. You'd see, uh, I I see here uh, Rome, I see Cambodia, Switzerland, Brno, Okinawa, uh, Peru. Uh, Again, just, uh, just, you you would learn something about the Oshman family, just have walking through our home. And then finally, if you come into the kitchen, you'd see a a big island, and then you'd see this big table uh, that is bigger than our family's needs because we wanted to have a, a table that, that others could come around and, and sit around with us and share some meals together. And so that's what you would see in, in our home. But the question for you is what, what, would, what, what would people learn about your home as they walk through your door and come into your family room and, and go into your kitchen? and uh, like, like what are the values and vision and, and mission of your family that would be communicated in that moment? Right? Because our homes 
tell us a lot about who we are. And with that in mind, we should ask the question, as God kind of walks us through his earthly home, or at least the tabernacle earthly home, what do we learn about God in this moment? What does this tell us? And in fact, not only do we learn a lot about God in this moment, we learn a lot about ourselves. And so with that, let's go and look at Exodus 25. (coughs) Excuse me. Exodus 25. It says this, The Lord said to Moses, Tell the Israelites to bring me an offering. You are to receive the offering from me, for me from everyone whose heart prompts them to give. These are the offerings you are to receive from them. Gold and silver and bronze, blue, purple, and scarlet yarn, and fine linen, goat's hair, ramskins dyed red, and another type of durable leather, acacia wood, olive oil for the light, spices for the anointing oil, and for the fragrant incense, and onyx stones, and other gems to be mounted on the the ephod and breastplate. Now, what I want you to see, first of all, in, in the, the calling and the bringing in for the building of the tabernacle, God prompts uh, people with their generosity, prompts artists to come together and, and start to create these things. But, but throughout this whole description, what the reader of, of, of this would recognize right away is there are echoes all over the place of Eden. Echoes all over the place of Eden in the tabernacle. So uh, in, in uh, Genesis 2.12, for example, it talks about the land of Eden, the rivers flowing out of it. It says it was full of, it started with gold and onyx. And, and right away, we see this. Uh, tell them to bring gold and onyx stones. And, and there's this echo. And we're going to see a ton of echoes of Eden. At verse 8. Then have them make a sanctuary for me, and I will dwell among them. Make this tabernacle and all its furnishings exactly like the pattern I will show you. So God is obviously omnipresent. He's everywhere at once at all times. That's true. But, but God has uh, in the past, in, in Eden and, and uh, in the tabernacle, eventually in the temple, uh, ultimately in Jesus, he has come and he has manifested himself. He's, he's been present in a unique and special way. And he says, among my people who are living in tents and wandering, I too am going to have a tent. I'm going to tent and tabernacle, t- tabernacle with you. I'm going to dwell with you. And so uh, from there, he zooms all the way in to the very, what's, what's called the Holy of Holies and begins to describe the most important piece of this tabernacle, the ark. We'll, we'll put it on the screen here. It says, have them make an ark of acacia wood, two and a half cubits long and a cubit and a half wide and a cubit and a half high. Overlay it with pure gold, both inside and out and make a gold molding around it. Verse 16, then put in the ark the tablets of the covenant law, which I will give you. So they have just ratified the covenant. They said, everything you say, Lord, we will do. And so God is going to rule and reign over his people from the center of the Holy of Holies with the ark and the law of God as his rule and reign. Verse 17, make an atonement cover. So on top of this gold box, put an atonement cover of pure gold, two and a half cubits long and a cubit and a half wide. Now this is interesting. Because he's got the law that, that the people are to meet and, and are required to meet. But then, but then on top of that, he says, now put an atonement cover. Not just a cover, an atonement cover. Uh, some translations, older ones would say, put a mercy seat on top of the law. So, so um, 
this place, this holy of holy places. You, you couldn't just go and, and, and go in there and you know, hang out with the presence of God. Uh, once a year, once a year, the high priest could go after making sacrifices for himself, confessing his sins, after making sacrifices for the people, confessing their sins, it would take all day. Just everything we can possibly think of, Lord, we, we are confessing, 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 because you are holy, holy, holy. And so this, this long process, once a day, day of atonement, he would go in and just very, very carefully begin to make his way into the tabernacle, into the holy place, and then through there into the holy of holies. His heart is beating. It is a fearful and dangerous place to be. But God says, put a mercy seat there. Put an atonement cover. And once a year, take that, the, the, the offerings of the sacrifice and sprinkle on top of this the blood of the sacrifice. So he rules us by our law, but the atonement cover is the penalty of the law is covered by his grace. So, and so at the center of, of, of this place, God rules with justice and with mercy. With mercy. Uh, verse 18. And make two cherubims out of hammered gold at the ends of the cover. Again, the cherubim were set up to guard Eden. Verse 22. There above the cover between the two cherubim that are over the ark of the covenant law, I will meet with you. And give you all my commands for the Israelites. This is amazing. The God of the universe will meet in a very specific place. In a very specific time with his people. So so that's the the ark. And and you step out of that room and back up. And you come into another room. And then uh, Moses describes what's in that room. The furniture of that room. He says there's a table. Make a table of acacia wood. Two cubits long and a cubit wide and a cubit and a half high. Overlay it with pure gold and make gold molding around it. And describes all the utensils and the gold and how it's going to be portable. Then verse 30. Put the bread of the presence on this table before me at all times. And again, there, there was to be uh, two stacks of six loaves of bread. There's fresh, warm bread cooked uh, every week to, to sit there. It's called, uh, interesting, not just bread, uh, but, but the bread of the presence. It, it is saying that in God's house, you are invited to both feasting and fellowship with God. There's warm bread waiting for you. Tells us something about God. He goes on to, uh, if you were to turn around from the lampstand, you, you, uh, from the table, you would see on the other side a lampstand. Make a lampstand of pure gold. Hammer out its base and shaft and make its flower-like cups, buds and blossoms of one piece with, each, with, piece with them. So, so it's not just a candelabra. It's not just a, a lampstand. Uh, it, it represents something. It says, have flower cups and buds and blossoms. Six branches are to extend from the sides of the lampstand. Three on each side and three on the other. Three cups shaped like almond flowers with buds and blossoms are to be on, on one branch and three on the next branch. And, and the same for all the six branches extending to the lampstand. Verse 37. Then make its seven lamps and set them up on it so that the light so that they light the space in front of it. Again, there's echoes of Eden here. It's a tree. It's a tree that brings life and light. 
It's, it, it shows in God's presence there is light and life. And so uh, you, you go in the room and it, it, it fills this space with light and life. Uh, later on, we'll see there's one more piece of furniture in this, this uh, holy place. There's, it's the altar of incense, the original kind of uh, essential oils. It would just kind of fragrant nonstop fill that whole space and, and represent God's presence, but also uh, the prayers of the people that go up. So, so, so chapter 25 is as, if, is as if God's saying, hey, come close. Come close. Look at this. Come, come, come close. And then chapter 26 is like what we've seen so many times in the book of Exodus when God meets with his people. Come close, don't come too close. There's still a problem. Come close, not too close. It's dangerous for you. 26 tells us about that. So we zoom out to the tabernacle. I'll have a picture. You won't be able to see it, but there would be a picture uh, on the screen of the tabernacle. That's the next one. So th- this is kind of the, the, the big picture. So you can see the room and the, 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 the candle and the light and the ark, all that stuff. But, but then he begins to describe the tabernacle. Make the tabernacle with ten curtains uh, of finely twisted linen and blue and purple and scarlet yarn with cherubim woven into them by a skilled worker. Again, those cherubim guarding the way. Uh, It goes on. Uh, Verse 4. It talks about these different layers. You can kind of see them here, but there's there's different layers uh, to this tabernacle. Make loops of pure uh, blue material along the edge of the end of the curtain in one set and do the same with the end of the curtain on the other set. So the first layer inside is, is blue. It's going to represent uh, the heavens. So you're walking into the presence of God in the heavens. Uh, verse 7 talks about the next layer. Make curtains of goat hair for the tent over the tabernacle, 11 altogether. The, the goat hair represents God's covering of Adam and Eve uh, and covering their shame after their sin and their nakedness. So they, they're covered in, in that layer. Verse 14, make for the tent a covering of ram skin dyed red and, and over that covering of the other durable leather. So, so the next layer is this ram skin dyed red, just a reminder of, of the death uh, to cover the sin, the sacrifice of Adam and Eve's sin. And then there's one more layer to kind of protect everything over it as well. Uh, It says, and you can see it in this picture uh, in verse 31, make a curtain of blue and purple and scarlet yarn and finely twisted linen with cherubim woven into it by a skilled worker. Hang the curtain from the class and place the Ark of the Covenant Law behind the curtain. The curtain will separate the holy place from the most holy place. So, So imagine, you're one of the very, very few that get to go into the tabernacle. You uh, open the, the fr- front door, as it will, and you go in and, and it's lit by this, this lampstand that looks like a tree of life. It's, it's forever lit. It's like that burning bush that Moses encountered. It's a tree that, that is on fire but doesn't burn up. And you look over and there's warm bread welcoming you. And you go a little bit further and there's the altar of incense going up to God. And then there's this thick curtain. And you can go no further. You're so close and yet so far away. The curtain was there for your protection. You can't just go into the presence of God. You can't just go into uh, his holiness as it is. 
And so you're blocked. So that's the problem in verse, in chapter 26, the, the solution we see in chapter 27 in the, the, the bigger picture, the, the whole courtyard as it will. Go to the next one here. So, so we see how this is set up. There, there's one entrance. It's on the east side. Again, because we live east of Eden. And to come into the presence of God is to come from the east back into his presence. But as you come into that presence, it says, build in verse tw- chapter 27, verse 1, build an altar of acacia wood, three cubits high. It is to be square, five cubits long, and five cubits wide. And it begins, continues to describe all that's going on here. But as you come through uh, the, the east side, the first thing that dominates your way, dominates your path, is the altar of sacrifice. It's a reminder you don't come close without the blood of another. And this would be a sacrifice that would happen thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of times. You'd go in, okay, I want to get close. Well, first come to the altar, make your sacrifice, see the blood of the animal die, see him cry out in pain and, and bleed out. And then uh, as you're covered in blood, you, you go a little bit further and then there's a, the altar, the, the purification basin. So you had to be, your sins had to be covered by blood and then you come to the, the washing place, you had to be purified as well before you could enter into the presence of God. Uh, chapter 30, verse 21, he puts it like this. They shall wash their hands and feet so that they will not die. This is to be a lasting ordinance for Aaron and his descendants for the generation to come. You could not just come to God without a sacrifice and without being purified. And what was true then is still true today. What's true then is still true today. The tabernacle, I, I wrote this out, I'll put it on the screen. The tabernacle was a shadow of all that we long for. It's just a hint. It's a shadow of all that we long for, all that we need, and ultimately all that we find in Christ. God was saying, a time is coming where you will dwell with me. You long, you were made to live with me. But, but we have this problem. We have this sin problem. All of us, in thought, word, and deed, have rebelled and we stand outside of the holy of holies and ultimately our way back is through Christ. The way back to Eden is through Christ. Jesus is described by the Apostle John as the tabernacle. John 1.14, the word became flesh and his, made his dwelling among us. The word dwelling among us is, is the same word in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, tabernacled among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of, of the only one and only son who came from the Father full of grace and truth. Jesus is the tabernacle. Jesus is the high priest that can go into the Holy of Holies, but he's not just that. He is the perfect sacrifice in and one the same. Hebrews 9, 12. He did not enter by the means of blood and goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once and for all by his own blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption. Jesus is the bread of the presence. John six thirty five. Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Jesus is the lampstand. John eight twelve. Jesus spoke to them, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And Jesus comes to the curtain on the cross 
Matthew describes it this way. And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. John says when he gave up his spirit, he says it is finished. Verse 51, at that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn from top to the bottom. He opens the way. There is no more need for the barrier, right? Because we've been purified. We have been covered by the blood of the Lamb. We now have full access. Hebrews says, now, now go with confidence into the very presence of God. We can go. Not in confidence of ourselves, not in confidence in our righteousness, not in confidence in anything that we've done, but in all that Jesus has done in our place for us to make the way into the presence of God. Jesus is the ark where he rules and he reigns and he is the place we find mercy. There is this pattern in the Bible of God set up a home with his people. We see it first in Eden and then it comes in the tabernacle here. This is why I, I hope you see that it, it, it helps you understand and see and save, savor Jesus better. When, when you're reading your Gospels and you're like, oh, the tabernacle pointed to this. This is amazing. That's what I hope you see. Eventually, it was built in a temple in Jerusalem. So, so it, it came from uh, the garden. It went to actually Mount Sinai first and then uh, the tabernacle, then the temple. And, and then ultimately, uh, God made his dwelling among us. Jesus tabernacled with us. We know that the future, Jesus has gone to prepare a place for us to be in his presence and at home with him forever. But the question then is, well, is there, is there a place we can, if this is a pattern, where, where can we go to see uh, the presence and the power of God to be in his house now? And the good news is, there is. But it's not in Jerusalem. We're not exclusively, at least. The New Testament is very, very clear on this. And this has profound, life-shaking, life-altering implications for us in this room. Here's what the New Testament says about the pattern of God being among his people, at home with his people. 1 Corinthians 3.16, don't you know that you yourselves, God's people, and that's plural, by the way, don't, don't Americanize this and make everything about you personally. It says when, when the church is gathered, the church together is God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst. This is crazy. If you think about how, how wonderful and how powerful and how kind of fearful it was to, to be in the very presence of God and the New Testament has the audacity to say by the spirit of God who lives in believers you now together are the temple of God the tabernacle of God Peter put it this way as you come to him Jesus the living stone rejected by humans and chosen by God and precious to him you also like living stones are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ folks we we we're the tabernacle not individually we aren't but but together we are together uh, we are uh, the house of God um, again massive massive implications like like 
Just imagine, like, if we had this on the front of our mind. Whoa, I get to go uh, tonight to my my gospel community. I I get to go to church and gather with the living stones of God's people because this is where God dwells and has a special manifestation of his presence on earth. I, I get to go there. Like, wouldn't there be a kind of a more urgency like, wouldn't there be a more like, kind of fervency to our worship? God, your Holy Spirit, your presence, your power, here is where it is. That there's no place on earth where it's more powerful in this moment if we would just turn our eyes to you and access that power. Like, this is a big deal that God has bought you by his blood, purified you, and is building you up into his presence on earth. And so, Back to my first question. If our homes tell us something about who we are, and God's home that we just looked at tells us something about who he is, and if we are God's home now, then are we accurately communicating who God is in the world? Like, people should be able to come and spend some life with us, spend some time together with us, in community together, on mission with us, and be like, oh, I see who God is. I see that he is holy, but he is merciful. I see that he cares and he loves. I see that he sees all people and, and he wants to pursue them because we, I, I have spent some time at Redemption Parker. Did you know Redemption Parker is the home of God? And we learn a lot when we walk in someone's home. And so, we also see the mission of God amongst his people. The beauty, Jesus said, when I go, it's going to be better. Because I'm sending my spirit. I won't be located in just one place. I'll be located wherever my people go together on mission for God's glory and for their joy. Folks, that's what God's called us to. Let's be an accurate reflection of who he is as we gather as his home. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word to us this morning. Lord, thank you for the tabernacle and just the heart that it reveals that you desire to dwell among us. You are holy and we were not. Thank you for Jesus who tabernacled among us. Thank you, Jesus, that you were the perfect high priest and the perfect sacrifice. Jesus, our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. And so I pray, Lord, that if there's anyone here that has not yet come home, has not come out of the east and back into the home with you, Lord, I pray by grace through faith today they would trust in you, turn from their sin, and find in you new life and be welcomed into the household of God. Lord, I pray for the rest of us, Lord, that we might hold this holy and awesome responsibility with great reverence and awe as we walk out of this place today. May you be glorified in our lives and in your house. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.